Just about everyone you meet on the street thinks they're a writer. You sit across from your cousin at the table and he talks about the novel he's working on. Maybe you bump into an old classmate and they tell you they're working on their body of work. Sure, anyone can publish their writing today, and we should actually celebrate that, but not just anyone can write copy. If you want to be an A-lister and build a career as a copywriter, it takes more than just a pulse and a pencil to do this thing so many of us do daily. Today's guest for the Copywriter Club podcast has built her reputation around her impressive resume of copywriting accomplishments. That's why she's an A-lister we can all agree is actually on this phantom A-list. We're talking about Kim Krause Schwalm. You can catch our first podcast interview with Kim back in the day in episode 40, where we talk about how she went from successful marketing director to control-beating copywriter in less than two years. But today, Kim's here to bust three copywriting myths and before we jump into all of that, I want to introduce my co-host uh, for this episode, Matt Hall. Matt Hall is a Renaissance man, and that's all I—that's the best title for him because he can do all the things um, in the marketing space. And anytime anyone has any type of problem, I send them to Matt Hall. But Matt, that is the worst possible title for you. What do you actually do? What do you call yourself? So what I really do is I solve problems. People come to me and they don't say, Matt, I've got money for you. Just take it, do with it what you will. They come to me because there's something they want me to do and something they want me to make better. So I do that with websites. I do that with copy. I do that with strategic planning. And uh, a lot of what I learned has come from being able to interact with people just like Kim. Actually, this is kind of a cool episode to be on because I accidentally sat next to Kim and I didn't realize I was sitting next to this copy A-lister. So I'm talking to her. And what I'm talking to her about, like Montessori for my kid, right? And she was just like the nicest, most generous person I could possibly be talking to at that lunch table in Brooklyn. And it was just such a cool experience. And then realize later you realize, oh, wow, this is this is Kim Krause Schwamp. She's the real deal, right? She is like Big a, deal. Yeah. such a huge deal in this space. So this is such a cool episode. There's so many things in it that I really resonate with. And I think the simplicity and clarity of what she says is also going to really resonate with a lot of the people listening today. All right. Yeah. And Kim is a wonderful, she's a, she's become a friend. We both live in the DC area. So we hang out um, frequently, you know, pre-baby. Now I, I haven't, I'm not hanging out with anybody. Um, and also, yeah, Kim and I have chatted about Montessori as well. So we know she's very passionate about Montessori. Kim, Kim Krause Schwamm, known for two things, Montessori schools <laughs> and A-list copywriting. Yep. That's, yep, there you go. So before, Matt, we jump in and kind of get more official uh, with this commentary that we're about to share, uh, what is, you know, you, you solve problems, like what kind of problems and how can people pay you for those problems to solve? What Do you have a package or something you can plug? I do. Right now, I'm helping copywriters, coaches, and consultants break through the walls sort of keeping them where they are and implement the systems, strategies, and scaling they need to finally hit the income targets that they've been aiming at for a while, but haven't been able to hit. So if you feel like you've been stuck, you feel like you know what to do, you know the things that you should be doing every day, 
but you also really struggle to figure out how to get out there and promote yourself effectively, how to balance your time, how to find the right help for your team, how to overcome your tech blockers. Let's chat because I might be able to help you out. And if I can't, that's okay too, because we can get you connected with the right person. So this podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Think Tank. That's our mastermind. If you listen to the show, you probably have heard us talk about it on just about every show. But today is cool because we have, again, Matt Hall uh, is a past Think Tank member. So I'm going to take this opportunity, Matt, to just ask you, you know, what was your favorite part about the Think Tank Mastermind? So there's that, there's that moment when you first get paid to write copy and it just feels like magic. And you do more copy jobs, you try to find more clients and it goes well, but then you hit a point where you get stuck and you're like, I don't know what to do. And the cool thing about being in the think tank was that you're suddenly around a group of people who are all facing the same challenges together. And you're all experimenting in slightly different ways that feel authentic to your business, authentic to your personality. And so you get to see, hey, here's what works for a lot of different people. And you get to pick and choose for once working with your community that you're creating, how you can grow your own business. So it was just like, just wild to see people who were just really down to earth really cool and chill uh, people who've been on this podcast figure out what to do to break through that next to that next step and being able to learn from them was just gave me so much hope and a complete new level of freedom all right well thanks for sharing that Matt and if you know if you're listening and you want to learn more you can visit copywriterthinktank.com all right let's kick off this episode and find out what Kim's been up to since we last chatted with her on the podcast. Let's let's get caught up. So you were on the podcast episode 40. Like that was three years ago. So we, long ago. Yeah, we have like what 200 episodes since then. We're coming up on like almost 270-ish, close yeah. to that. So yeah. what's been going on with you the last uh, three years or so? Yeah, well, um, you know, I I've been gradually doing less and less client work. Um, and that's in part just because I've expanded to having people that I'm doing mentoring with. Um, I have some of my own courses that I've created that have actually been offshoots of events that I've held. So, you know, I've been gradually doing a bit more with my own business and with my own email list. And, and I've just found it really satisfying on many levels. Um, I was always a marketer that could write copy. I kind of fell into copywriting after a 13-year marketing career. And so I've missed using those different parts of my brain. And it's also been just really gratifying to be at a point where I can just openly share everything I've learned with people. I'm not worried about they're going to take work away from me, you know, because I'm basically semi-retired from copywriting. So that's kind of what I've been up to really the last three years. Yeah, if I remember right, I, I could be getting the timing not quite right, but when we talked to you the last time, you were about to have your LA boot camp. Oh, yeah, um, that was with, a while ago. With, uh, GA, right? <laughs> and that's become one of your products. It uh, is, but I'm actually kind of semi retired that. I haven't been really promoting that because I do have another copywriting course that I um, called Copywriting Velocity, which was part of basically an offshoot of an event I had in March 2019. And then I'm actually about to refocus on that and, and, you know, do some, some more tinkering and, you know, expanding on that program. And then right now I'm actually working on a new course on research, which a lot of people have been very interested in learning more about. And I kind of consider it one of my secret weapons 
for getting um, really highly successful controls. Um, so I'm really excited to to get that course launched. But yeah, but that's a good memory. Yeah, that's definitely going back to sort of the beginning of me putting myself out there and starting to share, you know, my copywriting knowledge. Okay, so I'd love to like dig in a little bit more, you know, like what these courses look like and how you how you like think through. Okay, and, and I know they're usually based out of an event, so mm-hmm. you're doing live teaching at least to start with. Mm-hmm. But when you sit down to create a product like that or a presentation, you know, a, a one two day presentation, what is that process? You know, how do you bullet out all the things that you're going to cover? You know, through something that turns then into you know a course that you can sell. So I'm going to, I'm going to just be really honest. The first two ones that I mentioned that were offshoots of events, I kind of came up with the idea to do the events um, on such a short, tight time frame that I was, was like waiting to see if it was actually really going to happen. And then there was this weekend of panic, like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And then I just, it just kind of all poured out of me. And I've always been able to just, the stuff just does really just kind of pour out of me because I've been doing it for, you know, 20 plus years, plus before that being a marketer working with copywriters. So, um, but the results have been quite good. I mean, people love the courses. Now, when I sat down and did my million dollar controls courses, which is something I did launch last year, it was perfect during COVID because it was, you know, six live group calls. And then I turned that into a virtual program. And in those, uh, I did think through, I, had identified six of my longest running, most successful um, direct mail and online sales page controls. And I put together, you know, in-depth, like eight or nine page sheets of all the bullets that I wanted to cover. And, you know, then did these live one to one and a half hour calls with a group of people. And that was like really in-depth, you know, thinking and going really deep into the different process behind each one of these controls and breaking them down, you know, and what my process was. So that was very different from doing, you know, a live event. And then for the research course, it's actually really an offshoot of having, I'm in my second year now of my fast track to A-list group mentoring program. And so this is the exact research process that I've been teaching my mentees on our group calls. And then I have them do various exercises, you know, to apply, you know, what I've taught them. And so now I've just taken basically what I've been teaching them and the process that I've used myself over the years, and I've boiled it down to five, you know, key steps. And so this is really an in-depth, like walking you through each of those steps, giving you the templates that I use and that I've given my mentees and examples, you know, to, to basically do soup to nuts research from starting out, you know, from scratch with whatever start kit you can get with from your client to putting together a copy platform and outline for your promo. So can I get a preview of what those five points are without giving away the store? Absolutely. Like what are, yeah. What are the five? I mean, the, there are things the, the I've process. saved. Yeah. I've shared a lot of them with people on my list in the past, but this way you'll get everything in one course. So the first is basically gather all the nuggets, right? You know, what can you get from your client? You know, don't stop there, obviously, you know, go beyond that, do the research, you know, figure out who your avatar is, you know, um, you know, go to forums, talk to actual people, you know, past customers, et cetera. There's, you know, interview, if there's a spokesperson, find out the, the backstory on the product or service. You know, there's a lot of different things you do to gather those nuggets. And the second thing is to really zero in on your avatar or, you know, target prospect. And that's using this prism exercise, which I actually learned from, I got that from Clayton Makepeace. I'm not sure the late, the late Clayton Makepeace. Um, 
I'm not sure if he got that from someone else or if he invented it, but I remember hearing about it years ago from him and using it. And it just really gets you to shine the light on, you know, exactly who your target prospect is, what, you know, what are their deepest fears and wishes and hopes and, you know, what do they most enjoy and, you know, kind of what are their beliefs and summing it all up in one boiled down, you know, paragraph basically. So of course you don't just start there. You have to kind of get there from, you know, all the previous work you've done. Yeah. The third step is a a five-step features and benefits exercise. So a lot of people are taught, you know, do your features on one side and then list all the benefits, right? You know, it's got like a, you know, the air purifier has this three-speed dial, you know, so you can, you know, adjust the flow of air to where you want. Well, you know, the five-step exercise takes it two more, you know, three more steps. It's why is that three, you know, why is this one feature there? You know, first you start with the feature and then you ask, why was that included? And then, you know, put that in the column. And then you, um, you, you expand on, you know, what's in it for the prospect. You know, I'm kind of getting a little into the detail. Anyway, there's a lot of different steps here. So it's really going beyond the the traditional features and benefits to five steps that you get, you're able to, at this point to really dimensionalize those benefits and then hopefully tie them to a key emotion that the prospect has. And then this helps you to then figure out, well, which one of these is the most important? Which one do I want to go with? And the fourth step is to just walk away and let it all percolate, which is a key step in coming up with any kind of big idea or, you know, any kind of creative work. And then the fifth step is I'm putting it all together in a copy platform or outline. Okay. And step number four, how much time do you take for that? Is it an hour? Is it a couple of weeks? Like, what does that (laughs) look like? Well, um, I mean, it's definitely at least a day or two. Um, I mean, I think it's nice to at least have a weekend buffer in between because then you don't want to be, well, my break is now I'm going to work on another project, you know, for a week because then your your brain's just not going to get to rest. So it's good to just have your brain rest and not be in that work mode. So however much time that you can give it to do that, I think is really important. I mean, it could even just be at least get out for a long walk or, you know, leave the house and do something. Um, But that's true for any kind of writing. I think like you never want to turn your draft in at the end of the day. You always want to look at something with fresh eyes. So it's kind of, it's the same thing. You're giving your brain that time it needs to make connections and, you know, stepping away from work and then coming back to it later. Um, And I think we've all had the experience of, you know, okay, we've got, this is going to be the concept and this is the big idea and the client loves it. And you start writing the copy and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, wait, I just thought of something better. It finally came to me. Right. So, you know, that you never, you can't always know exactly when that's going to happen, but you do want to give some space for that. So as you go through this process then, and because obviously you're looking for the big idea, you're looking for little ideas also that you can, you know, turn into bullets or fascinations, headlines, that kind of stuff. How do you know, as you're going through this process, when you've got a winner, when you've got something that's actually worth pursuing, as opposed to, you know, all of the, I mean, all of us have had this experience, you know, you, you do this research and you end up with pages and pages and pages of notes, but the reality is maybe 10% of it is really good stuff. So how do you know? It's gotta be that thing. And I wish I could think of an immediate example, but I can't, but it's gotta be that thing that just makes you stop in your tracks, you know, and you're just like, wow, really? Or wait, I need to find out more about that. Or, you know, that kind of reaction. That's what you want. That's your ideal 
hook, you know, to get someone to want to find out more or, you know, stop them. Because again, you know, you're going up against so much competition for attention, you know, any, no matter, no matter what, you know, channel you're using with your marketing. And so it's just, how do you, how do you break through, you know, it's just the 600th weight, weight loss promotion they've seen, or the hundredth financial promotion they've seen just in the last week. So it's got to be something new that just hits them, makes them turn their head, you know, stops them in their tracks. So when I feel that, you know, especially after doing all the research and I've kind of put myself in the shoes of the prospect, you know, that's when I know this is something I really need to think about going with. So you've kind of had these two approaches to creating these courses or content or whatever, one, you know, coming from, you know, the live event and then one where you're sitting down and, you know, kind of thinking through, um, do you notice a difference like in the quality or in the intensity of the content when you do it one way versus another? Um, well, I think the thing doing this research course it's already basically taking what I've taught live to people, you know, albeit in my mentoring group, and then just putting it into, you know, kind of a readable form. But, you know, yet again, I was thinking, because this course is still being created, um, I will likely include a group training component in this. Um, and so I think to me, it really hasn't been that different because the best trainings I've done, either it's been an in-person event or like the million dollar controls where I was on calls, or there was a course that Chris Orzachowski and I had um, that we, we since have retired, but on royalties, retainers and recurring revenue deals, mm-hmm. we did that whole course basically with group calls, which we then recorded and people could listen to. So I think for me, it's that live training element that really brings it to life. And there's also, because I think it's really hard to just talk into, um, you know, a camera in your office and there's nobody there to laugh at your jokes or, you know, like I need, I need an audience, you know? And so I feel, and I can kind of see, and I can get a sense for, Hey, wait, this needs more explaining, or they can ask questions. So I guess the common thread here is I do really like the group training element and I think it helps me teach better and really address the things that people, you know, want and need to know. Yeah. Okay. So you've, you've like shifted into doing more of this training, um, helping other people, you know, launch mm-hmm. their careers or connect, you know, in, in your world. Um, so that, that kind of brings up the question, can anybody be a copywriter? You know, can, can man <laughs> off the street, you know, reach out to Kim and say, turn me into a copywriter, or is there something else that they need before they can, before they can write? Can you, can anybody write copy? <laughs> well, it's so funny because I just happened to write an email to my list about that very topic. And I also posted it on LinkedIn. And boy, did that resonate with a lot of people. You know, I think we've all had this experience where everybody thinks they can write copy. They think it's deceptive. It looks deceptively simple, right? Because yeah. we're writing in anywhere from fifth to eighth grade sentences. You know, we're writing, you know, simple, easy to read words. And people think, oh, I could write that. I mean, there's even some organizations that will say anybody can write a simple letter and make a million dollars, right? Um, We won't name names. But, uh, you know, so it's given the impression that anybody can do this, which unfortunately I feel like has sort of devalued copywriting to some degree because, you know, those who actually know anything about copywriting, whether they've done it or they hire copywriters and really respect the value of copy, they know how hard it is to get it right. And so to answer your original question, could anybody off the street do it? I think as long as they're super clear eyed about what is going to involve, be involved. I mean, I like to try to be upfront with people that like, 
it takes hard work, right? I mean, it's, you know, you, people go for train for months or years, at least, you know, to get to the point that they can write, you know, something like I would write like a long form promo. I mean, I didn't start off writing those, you know, even with my years of experience, you know, at a publishing company and so, and running a supplement business. So yeah, it's, um, I think that does take some, just some basic native writing ability. I mean, I know so many super smart smart marketers who will say, I can't write. Like, there's no way I could do copywriting. You know, I'm just not a writer, you know, and there are some people like that. So obviously you have to feel like you at least are comfortable with writing. Um, you obviously need a good command of grammar and the English language. Um, but beyond that, yeah, if you are willing to put the work into it and really study all the classic books, you know, don't just buy a course, but actually do it, you know, do it 10 times like Ben Settle talks about, right? Um, you know, hand copy or read a successful promo every single day, like some of the people I've mentored do, um, you know, those, that's what will help make you have a shot at being a good copywriter. It's not, you know, oh, I can just buy this course and now I'm going to make a million dollars, you know? <laughs> so it really does take the work and being clear-eyed about what it involves. So, yes, I want to ask about some, some myths or maybe they're, they're myths that people have busted that actually shouldn't have been busted. So I've, I've seen very prominent copywriters say typos don't matter um, because it's really the message that you're communicating, communicating. Would you agree with that? The only case that I think that doesn't matter, I'll give you two examples. One would be if it's your own email list and it's just part of your personality, right? Okay. Like I'm just brushing this off while I drink my coffee this morning. And like, it kind of just adds an air of authenticity to your message. Um, or if that's kind of the brand of whoever it is that you're the voice you're writing in. But generally, yeah, it matters. It matters a lot. And I'll tell you why. The main reason it matters is if you've ever read something and it's missing a word or there's like the punctuation's missing and then it trips you up. Because you're like, wait, oh, I just read that wrong, right? You know, and then you stop. Well, every time you trip up somebody reading your copy, you rip, you risk losing them. You know, yeah. you want them to glide effortlessly through the grease tube of your copy and not stop reading, not have anything trip them up. So it's not about being an, an anal like English major, which I was, and I was a math major actually. Um, it's about you know not tripping the prospect up, not wrecking the sale. Don't lose them. You know, and the other thing is, I just know a lot of clients, it just drives them absolutely freaking nuts. They get these drafts that are riddled with grammar and spelling and punctuation and English mistakes, and they don't want to sit there and be a copy editor. You know, they're like, I'm paying money for good copy. I mean, I can't tell you how many clients complain about that. So it's really important. It's important to come across as a professional that you put that care into your work. And it's also really important just to understand that it's, it's going to mess up your copy if you lose your prospect by tripping them up. Okay. I, I agree hundred <laughs> percent. Myth number two, I've seen okay. some business experts. <laughs> I feel passionate about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of do too. In fact, you know, when I, even when I see copywriter, I, I, you know, yes, you will forgive a typo in an email or, or whatever, sure. but you know, I'll see some copywriters who misuse, you know, uh, pronouns, you know, starting out a, a sentence with him or her as a, you know, direct object pronouns versus your know, subjective versus objective pronouns, yeah. these kinds of things. Again, Maybe that's because I'm a writer. It bugs me more than others, but okay. So setting that stuff aside, another- yeah, I wanna, Can uh, I just add one quick yeah, thing? Though, yeah, like I think a lot of people know about Paris Rompopoulos, right? Yes. Top, top 
amazing copywriter. I've had the um, the privilege of working with him on some of my promos for one of our one of my clients where he copy chiefs everybody. And I will just say, talk about someone who is such a stickler for this kind of thing, like you just said. And it's true. It, it's again, it's back to we don't want to confuse people. You know, you need to. They need to be able to understand you. So when you switch tenses within paragraphs, or you end with one idea and you start with something else, like you, you lose them. You know. So you're right. Good writing, it really does matter. Okay. And it's not just you know all the top copywriters really understand this. Uh, yeah. I, okay. I agree with that. Yeah. Myth number two. I don't know that this is necessarily a lot of copywriters that say this, but certainly a lot of business experts, gurus say to business owners, you should write your own copy. You're the one that understands your product. You're the one that understands your offer and you need to be the one that controls that message. Is that a, a myth we should bust or is, <laughs> is that true? <laughs> Freaking lootly, baby. Um, okay. Where do I begin? So yeah, there's probably maybe one or 2% of business owners who are like really, really good copywriters who can write their own copy. I would maybe say I could do my own copy. Although even I have found it beneficial to hire out my own copy, you know, from my sales pages. And let me tell you what, I feel like even though I understand the product and I am the product, right. In some degree, um, you know, someone else is going to bring this perspective of really who the market is and how does this come across to the market? You know, and I think when, you know, you're a business owner and it's your own product, um, you know, you may, you might be totally, it's like an engineer, for example, my father was an engineer. You might be totally in love with, I'll go back to an air purifier example. My God, it's got like this HEPA filter that's ultra whatever. And it's got the, what, you know, this super like carb, carbon zeolite or, you know, and people are like, who cares, right? You need someone who's going to be able to take that, find the magic in it, get that out to the world and position like, this is what's going to really solve your problems. It's going to solve this problem and that problem and that problem. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't really see it that way. They're just kind of in love with their product, in love with their service, maybe in love with themselves. I don't know. And they really need someone who's going to like, how do we translate this to the market? And they're going to bring that valuable perspective. And the other major point is, you know, uh, who was it? Michael Gerber had this e-myth book that came out like 20, yep. 30 years ago. Yeah. And really, really good book, by the way. Really like, classic yeah. book. It's been making a resurgence, but the main point was you should be working on your business and not in your business. And again, a common complaint, especially people who own their own business or entrepreneurs is like, I started this business so I could actually have a life. And now I have no life because I'm busy doing these 16 million things. Well, hello, copywriting is one of those things that maybe you shouldn't be doing. And it's really being penny wise and pound foolish um, to not account, you know, what are your lost opportunities by you focusing on this instead of something else that's actually going to grow your business. And then secondly, you know, we brought somebody in who could do it 10 times better. What does that mean for your business? You know? Yeah. So it's just leverage, right? It's just another way you should be leveraging your time. You should be leveraging your resources, you know, in the best possible way. And for, I would say 98% of entrepreneurs, probably writing copy isn't one of them. Myth number three, or maybe piece of advice number three, is it a myth okay. or not? So I've seen some, not very many, but some copywriters say you shouldn't read books on copy. You know, Eugene Schwartz is too hard to read, or if you only read copywriting books, you know, you only know copywriting things and that you should actually read, you know, fiction instead or, or other things kind of ignore, ignore the copywriting, you know, stuff that's out there. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that you <laughs> would disagree with people? that. But yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> what do you think? Um, so it's, it's, Okay, so we call this black and black or white thinking, right? Um, you know, it's either or. Well, it's not either or. It's all of the above. I mean, you know, of course, read some fiction books. I agree. I think that's great. You know, it helps you with storytelling. It helps you just, it's also part of that, you know, walk away and percolate. You know, it's all that stuff, right? Um, but the classic books and then the not so classic newer courses and things like that, you can learn so much. And again, a big part of being a successful copywriter is curiosity and just always learning and relearning. You know, have you ever been to, well, you, you've, you've hosted them, you've hosted what, three or four live events and you'll see, cause I've been there too, doing the same thing many of the top copywriters in the audience and they can't stop writing notes. Well, you know, they know this stuff, but they're just relearning it again and again. You know, so part of that is just that relentless thirst to constantly learn, improve, be curious. So why wouldn't you, you know, why would you say you can't do these things? Like I read scientific advertising by Claude Hawkins at least every year. And I have all my mentees do it. It's the first thing we do in one of our first calls and we share so many brilliant takeaways. It's actually the first book I read when I became a freelance copywriter. And even though I've been working at Phillips and even writing copy while I was there and ran a supplement business, et cetera, it was like, whoa, all this just came together in my mind in this book that's like 80 years old, you know? So I I can't, I can't, you know, emphasize enough that you should be, that should definitely be part of your learning and ongoing, you know, development. Yeah. Okay. You know, as we're talking about this, you know, can anybody write like, you know, I've thought about this too. And I think one of the reasons that so many people think that they can write copy, you know, business owners or, you know, marketing people is all through school, you know, we, we're, we have to write, you know, we're, we're taught, you know, and we're taught these constructs for writing that are not necessarily very good for certainly not good for advertising. They're okay for essays in third Mm -hmm. grade or fifth grade or whatever. Um, But the flip side is during that same time, we also take time to draw and doodle and we get feedback at the same time. That, and most of us are told we're not very good at drawing, but we're almost never told that we're not good at writing. You know, we're, it's like, Oh, you need to improve this or, you know, keep going or whatever. And so I think a lot of us sort of have this idea. Oh yeah, I can write because I've been writing for 20 years or, you know, through, through high school and, and whatever, but we never learned how to communicate with our writing in a way that's, you know, curiosity inducing, interesting, mm-hmm. holds attention, makes a sales argument, like all of the things that copywriters do and really have to learn how to do at some point. But if you, but if you said, Hey, you know, draw a picture of, you know, draw this amazing picture of whatever, it's like only the kids in art class, you know, can actually do that thing that the rest of us were told long ago. And so I think, you know, maybe, maybe the, the metaphor breaks down somewhere, but it, you know, like if, if you think you're a writer because you went through school, um, you're probably as good at writing as you are at drawing, you can do a stick figure and you can do stick copy, I guess, but, you know, unless you've really had that training, that encouragement, that feedback from, you know, teachers, coaches, whatever, you probably aren't as good a writer as you think. And that probably even applies to a lot of copywriters, unfortunately. Yeah. I think you raise a good point. Um, I mean, while I say you definitely need to at least have some native, you know, innate writing skills, it means means more that you're comfortable with getting your ideas across on paper, but not necessarily having to follow all these rules and constructs outside of just, you know, grammar, basic grammar and punctuation and spelling. Um, So, yeah, I think maybe a step is 
the crucial step, and because it's been so long since I was starting out with this, is to kind of unlearn a lot of things, you know, and I, I encounter this every once in a while when I'm dealing with somebody who's using like AP, you know, standards or something, and they're like, you can't start a sentence with and, or, you know, it's like, you know, things like that. Right. right. So, you know, you got to unlearn, you got to know what you have to unlearn. Um, maybe it did benefit me that I was a math major in college because I didn't have all these, you know, college level English classes and telling me how I had to write, you know, because I didn't have, some of us might have more we have to unlearn, I guess is the point. And there's definitely people who don't have a college education who go on, who can be very successful copywriters because they do, you know, they have a basic ability to write and communicate, but then they also understand um, salesmanship and print, which I want to just, another big point of this is also knowing what makes people buy. And if you have any kind of previous sales experience, I think that's also hugely valuable to being a copywriter. Yeah, I agree. I, in fact, I think that one is often overlooked, you know, for, because even if you're writing content, you know, this top of funnel stuff, it still has to lead at some point to a sale eventually, right? You're still moving people through. So even it's just working in a store, you know, or just knowing how to talk to customers. I shared a story. Actually, I had the pleasure of having dinner with Gary Bensavanga about a month ago and shared this um, story with him about this crappy job I had during a recession one summer outside Dayton, Ohio where I worked for a waterproofing company doing telemarketing. And it was, you know, I was in this boiler room with handed a phone and here's a script and here's the phone list and offer people free basement inspection, right? Well, the first day I get zero people taking me up on the basement inspection because I'm just basically reading the script, right? Second day I come in, same thing, zero leads. The third day I come in, I get stopped by the boss. She's like, you don't get three leads today. You're out of here. I'm like... So I sit down and I just, I end up just playing around with the script and just adapting it to whoever I was speaking to. This sounds like a chatty person. Let me try this approach. Or this guy sounds like he just wants to get down to business. So let me just talk about the practical aspects of, you know, stopping a leak that might be happening and all this stuff. So to make a long story short, I I was able to stay the whole summer. I got my lead, you know, minimum leads every day. And then little did I even know that that was really great training for writing copy. Um, so I think, you know, it's a lot of things that we can pull from our previous experience that, um, you know, just getting comfortable with talking to people and understanding how to get them to take that desired action, you know, is really great experience for copywriting. So let's break in here to talk a little bit about a few things Kim has shared with us so far. So first I want to start, Matt, you know, we talk about being a marketer versus a copywriter and Kim talks about how she really started off as a marketer. I'm just curious, you know, how do you view yourself? Which, which one are you, a marketer, a copywriter, both? Yeah, that's a great question because there's so many different things we can do and they all require basically the same skill set, right? Like the problems that I solve as a copywriter are marketing problems. They're business problems, they're business strategy problems, right? I see myself as a person who solves business problems through better messaging. So sometimes that means copy, sometimes that means how the copy is laid out, sometimes it means what's the strategy behind your messaging. Uh, As you can tell, I'm not somebody who likes to be pinned down into a small box. So uh, yeah. That's why you're the Renaissance man. (laughs) So I I also liked from this part of the interview where Kim talked about creating digital offers 
and how she started with live sessions and some of them were in, you know, in real life pre-pandemic and how she's gone from live sessions to creating digital products. And I thought that was a really great process for creating offers and something that we've done in the Copywriter Club too when we've worked with copywriters. It's like getting in there, getting dirty, figuring out during live sessions what people actually need and problem solving and then figuring out takeaways from that before before you go and create these digital products and try to create this passive income um, in evergreen products. So I'm just curious, Matt, what what process has worked for you as you've played around with different offers? Well, did you catch what Kim said about how she signed up to do this training and it wasn't even ready yet? It ha- was happening way too soon. I think like, especially when you're thinking about planning an event or planning a launch or whatever it is when you're creating a product, you want it to be perfect first. And I know I am so guilty of this. So I think the idea of just getting it out there and beta testing it, practicing it, that's how you create the really, really, really great stuff that people want and people are going to pay for. Um, you notice that a lot of copywriters, what they'll do is transform their keynote address or their speaking presentation into a digital product. So we've got, uh, I know Joel Klecky does this. I know I've seen others who have done this as well, where they just like practice giving a webinar, practice giving a presentation, make it so loaded with value that anybody who is, they make it so loaded with value that anybody who listens to it is going to walk away with 10 times whatever they paid for the training. And that's how you get that word of mouth that's going to help you become this sought after trainer, this teacher. I love what she said about that. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And I think, you know, there are different ways to do that, like you shared. So you could, maybe you're asked to present on a topic at a big virtual event, or maybe it's a summit of some sort, and you say yes. And, you know, sometimes those are paid gigs. Sometimes they aren't. Often they're not. But to to get the ROI out of it, all the time you're going to pour into that presentation, it's such a great idea to get some deliver an excellent presentation and then get feedback from the audience and see what you what people loved, maybe what they didn't like, um, what was less interesting, and then turn that into a digital product. And then also do more of what Kim um, has done, where you actually are scheduling, you know, live, live teaching session, live workshops in person, virtual, and like in there with them learning, listening to their questions, and then taking those takeaways and turning it into a product. And then you could also, you know, just um, speak on different podcasts like this one and test different topics and share different frameworks that you're playing around with in your your mind and see which ones resonate with the audience as well and figure out like, oh, that framework that I shared went over really well. I've heard from, you know, a dozen people who um, really resonated with that. So maybe I turned that into some type of digital course too. And there are so many other ways you can do that. But I think it's such a great iterative process that Kim mentioned. And, um, you know, just to follow that, Matt, you've created different offers. Like what, what has worked specifically for you? Do you have any examples you could share of offers you've tested? And then you're like, eh, maybe not that, but something else worked instead. Yeah. Yeah. Actually just this year. So, uh, number one, pandemic land means you have like no friends. So I was eager to talk to people. <laughs> so I thought, how can I, how can I trick people into talking to me? So I'm not so lonely during the day working in my garage. And, uh, I, I got an idea for a service, an offer, 
And I just messaged a whole bunch of my copywriter friends, so many of them that I met through the Think Tank and through conferences. And uh, I said, hey, can I talk to you for like 15 minutes just on Zoom? And so I got Zoom and it's like, I'm not on the $10 a month plan or $12 a month plan, whatever, right? I'm not like a fancy super duper Zoomer. And I'm just recording these conversations and just talking to them and saying, well, what are the problems you're having? What's challenging you and your business? What's keeping you stuck? Uh, and, and two things happened from that. Number one, a lot of them were like, hey, by the way, I've been meaning to do thing, like build a website or whatever. I, you want to just finally do that? And I'm like, okay. I mean, I promise it wasn't this. This isn't a bait and switch where I'm like trying to trick you into talking to me so I can get a deposit from you. But I will take one if you need it. Um, and then the second thing that happened is I got a ton of just user research, interviews, uh, voice of customer letting me know what their problems were. And so I took that information and I turned it into an offer and it totally flopped. <laughs> um, I got it completely wrong. Uh, and I think what I got wrong was I was trying to be too focused and narrow in my targeting. And I just don't have the audience size for that. So after that flopped, I went back to the drawing board. I talked to more people and came up with a slightly different version, different price point, different focus, not quite as narrow. Uh, and that's been great. That's been awesome. So that one's in beta right now. Uh, I've got a few beta clients for that and we're getting ready to open that a little wider. But that process of just like throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks, you know, um, you have to do that, right? Now, I mean, Kira, so you've got multiple levels of products that aren't just like products or experiences too, right? How, how have you, I know that you've been running the Copywriter Accelerator for years now. You've had several different cycles that you've gone through. And I'm sure you've learned new things from every single round that you've done. Um, we will launch the accelerator twice a year. And so we have, you know, we have updated it. Yes. Based off um, feedback along the way. I think we've actually had seven cohorts now. Um, it's been enough to get feedback and understand, you know, 150 people at least or more um, in the program. So we understand what works, what doesn't work, um, what else people needed. And so getting that information, especially at the and after uh, copywriters have been through the program to ask what was most helpful, what was not helpful, what else could we add has been really helpful for us to um, really to like add on to the program and to upgrade the program. And even now, before we launch again in January, we'll upgrade the program again, just because the space is changing too quickly. We all, <laughs> we all need to continue to iterate in order to keep up with uh, the changes in marketing too. Well, and I don't want to spoil anything in the episode, but Kim does make a point later about how you can take the same message and apply it in different channels and different mediums, and it can work just as well. And so it's not like the work you're doing to prepare a digital offer or an event offer or whatever only works for that type of product. So um, yes, teaser, teaser alert. Yes. <laughs> so before we kind of wrap up and get back into it, um, what are there any other lessons or takeaways, Matt, that stood out to you? You know, Kim has been working in this space for so long, and she's such a pro, but she only recently started to promote herself and become a teacher and to shift away from just doing direct response copy to teaching, mentoring, stuff like that. So to me, that lets me know, okay, uh, if I don't have it all figured out right now, that's okay. If I don't want to be someone who's just doing teaching full time, if I want to keep doing the the craft, that's okay too. because so I've got plenty of time and that's just going to make me better coach and a teacher whenever I do want to make that my main focus. 
Yeah, that's a great point to to end on here. You know, Kim is is still figuring it out too, right? Kim is this A-lister, you know, so many of us admire and she's figuring out this new phase in her business. Uh, and we're, you know, we're all constantly learning and figuring out what's next. How can I make this better? How can I improve? How can I help more people? So um, it is refreshing to hear that. And if you want to make your business better, check out the Copywriter Accelerator coming in January 2022. <laughs> we, we, we'll leave that. We'll leave that in there. Let's go back to our interview with Kim and learn more about royalty contracts and how Kim spilled her authority. So we've talked about how you're doing a lot more training, teaching, uh, and that means you're working with copywriters who are somewhat just starting out, or they're you know they're trying to expand their business, whatever. What what mistakes are you seeing that copywriters are making that you know all of us across the board need to do less of? I would say, I mean, there's obviously things with writing copy where you feel like you well, first off, you agree to maybe too short of a time frame to, to really deliver the product. And I understand that, you know, when you're starting out, you don't want to turn things away and you want to please the client and you may not have enough sway to be able to, you know, negotiate. Um, but yeah, you know, as I like to say, you know, great copy is not rushed. You know, you really need that time to put into the research. It's not something you can just do in a few hours and then just start, you know, extemporaneously writing. <laughs> so I would say being too rushed, not, you know, putting the time into research is probably a very common mistake. I would say another common mistake is just with client management in general, um, not having, uh, you know, boundaries that, really benefit you and also actually cause the client to respect you more and ultimately make the entire process of working together go more smoothly. Um, for example, you know, not having some kind of contract or agreement where things are spelled out, um, not requiring a 50% advance at least, you know, to hold your time even, you know, that, or to start work, you know, sometimes like, hey, can you start tomorrow? And Next thing you know, you're working it's like, hey, where's my check? Right. You know, um, so you got to have you, you, you got to approach it like you're a professional and you deserve to be treated like a professional, even if it's like your first or second project. You know, it's people will respect you more. I mean, I, I could tell you so many examples of, you know, people I've mentored, even one of my last one of my mentees from last year reached out. And he was pushing back on five different things in this contract with a new client. He ran it by me. I'm like, yeah, you know, this looks makes sense. Go for it. I even like gave him a few tips on the kill fee. And they basically said, okay, we'll make all the changes. And I just know that project's going to go probably 10 times more smoothly for him, you know, from the start, because they're kind of, he's kind of showing that, Hey, I'm a professional and you can't push me around, you know, and I'm not desperate for this. You know, it's the thing if they think you're desperate, they won't, A, they won't think you're very good and B, they'll think they can kind of push you around and take advantage of you. So there's, you know, those are some really common things that I see a lot. Okay. And you have written, I mean, you've written a lot of niches, a, a big chunk of your career has been health, wellness, vitamin, health mm -hmm. supplements, that kind of stuff. You've done a little bit of finance, if I'm not mistaken as well. Yep. And these are niches that are talked about as like the high paying ones um, with good reason. Yeah. Um, not the only places where you can make money, but obviously a lot of people would love to break into those kinds of niches. Do you have advice for copywriters who, you know, it's like, okay, I want to, you know, I want to work with some of those top companies. I want to, you know, work on these kinds of promotions that Kim's been doing, you know, for the last couple of decades. Like, how do you break in, you know, how do you catch the attention of somebody who can, who can hire you for the next assignment? 
Well, I mean, the easiest way, the easiest slash hardest way probably is to at least have one of these similar long form projects, like a sales page and write it for somebody and have it be successful. It doesn't have to necessarily be a big name client. It could be some small little business, but they hired you and maybe you did it for a thousand dollars or some real cheap rate, but you got your sample, right? And you got something that shows, hey, this actually worked for this client. Um, another way would be to start with one of these clients and say, you know, do you need any email specs? I'll write an email spec, right? And if it works, pay me 150 bucks or whatever you know, deal you can make. Or, you know, maybe they need a new headline and lead for an existing control and you, you know, do that. Once you get a few wins like that for a client, they may say, hey, you know what? We're going to give you a chance to go up the bat on one of the big things, right? And so both of those are ways that I use to break in. I mean, when again, I came from a very well-known direct response company. I had a very successful track record as a marketer, but I still had to kind of start from the ground up as a copywriter. And I did nothing but you know smaller projects, back-end things, like the first you know couple years. Um, for one of them, it was with a financial publisher. And I had been doing highly successful renewal campaigns and all these, you know, quick hit things for flat fees. And they finally gave me a chance to write a promo and I had to go up against Jim Rutz. And the first try, it didn't work. Um, but then they came back to me six months later and they said, you know, we really did like your copy and we want to give you a chance to write a whole new one. And they paid me another whole new fee and I beat Jim Rutz and on that second try. And then I had the control and I beat him again when they brought another, you know, had him launch another um, version of the product. So, um, so, you know, once I beat Jim Rutz and got a control, like boardroom was calling and I had plenty of work. So that was, but I got that by doing the back end projects, the small ones, and then breaking into health. I, um, one of my first clients, he was having me edit his sales letters that he wrote himself. He was uh, making that mistake. Um, he actually wasn't bad. He used to train with Ted Nicholas. And okay. um, so I finally talked him into, hey, you've never tried a Magalog. Why don't you let me write a Magalog? And I charged him some ridiculous, like low flat fee, you know, but I did my first Magalog. And it, it kind of, it wasn't actually bad. You know, I just look at it now. I'm like, oh my God, that was my first Magalog. Um, but somebody else called from a supplement business and said, hey, do you got any Magalog samples? I gave him the one sample I had and he hired me for three times as much plus royalties. And I ended up writing him a control that mailed for like 10 years and paid me, you know, a lot of money in royalties. So, you know, those were two techniques that I used and I think are still completely valid ways that you can do so, you know, today. Okay. And a lot of what you wrote was actual <laughs> direct mail, like printed, mailed. Yeah, it's still um, still working. That, that's what I, was I have say, controls like, that are still going out in the mail that I wrote clearly, years ago. <laughs> clearly direct mail is still a thing. It's not all online. Not, a, not as much as it was, but it's still a thing with some companies. But yeah, almost everybody is mostly when they come to me, you know, it's it's online as sales pages. I mean, I've had several sales page controls. Uh, but yeah, one of my controls is uh, Circo 2 which is this nitric oxide supplement. I wrote the promo four and a half years ago. They still mail it, you know, I, you know, every other month at least. Um, and then, but it's been gangbusters online, you know, especially the last year and a half with COVID because a lot of people, I don't know, nitric oxide's just taken off in general. And uh, so it's like the same exact copy that I wrote for the direct mail promo has been running as a sales page format. And they've even made it into a, you know, more produced video sales letter. 
um, and it's working on Facebook, Google, you know, with their own email list, with other people's email lists. And it's literally the exact same copy I wrote for the direct mail sales letter. So I, honestly, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference. It's learning how to write direct response sales copy. Um, and then it can work really pretty much in any channel. And when you do that, when you when you you know move from one to another, do you structure the royalty agreement differently? Um, oh yeah, that's actually a very. I'm glad you brought that up because, because usually you get paid per piece when you mail, right? But yeah. obviously you're not going to get paid per view on a sales page. Yes. So no, yeah, how do you structure I, um, that? This is. Um, I actually think I wrote about this recently in my list because it was a. Uh, Another person I had dinner with just a few months ago when I was in Hawaii was Dan Ferrari, if you've heard of him. Yep. And uh, we were just talking about some new client he was working with. And apparently he didn't realize that he should do this, even though he's a super smart guy. I mean, I learned things about contracts from him that he shared with me. But um, one lesson I learned many years ago, um, another copywriter who uh, will remain unnamed, um, she wrote one of the most successful promos ever for a major financial publisher. And it was a direct mail piece. And this is back when they pretty much only did direct mail. Well, she wrote an agreement. The agreement said it was whatever, let's say it was three or four cents per email would be her royalty. Well, then they ended up a couple of years later after running this thing, and she made a lot of money in direct mail royalties. They adapted it for online use, and then they ran it for several years after that, but they refused to pay her a penny of royalties for that. So lesson learned, and I have always done this ever since, my contracts always include spelling out what the royalty is per piece mailed and spelling out what it is for online use, for any online use. And that doesn't matter if they hire me for a direct mail piece and they say, oh no, we'll never do it online. Or they hire me for a direct, you know, an online piece. Oh, we'll never do direct mail. It's going in. It's going in the agreement. Okay. And uh, so typically if let's say your deal was say three cents per name mailed, that it's usually 3% of, I always try to go for gross sales. Sometimes they want to make it net sales, which is gross, less returns. Yep. Um, but yeah, go for gross sales if you can, but yeah, it's, you know, that's basically what I do. And I just, I spell it out. Um, another tip is if they hire me to do a sales page, I generally charge a little bit less than I would for a full direct mail promo because direct mail promo has like sidebars and front and back covers and other stuff. Um, so I'll charge like a one-time fee if to convert it to a direct mail piece, if they want to do that. And it's usually it's like 25% of whatever the fee is for the sales page, if that makes sense. So I, all that just goes into the agreement so that later on, they're not just taking your copy and repurposing it. And then you're not getting the royalties. So, because I saw what my friend, you know, what she went through with that. And, and that was just terrible that the client did that. Uh, it was very short-sighted, I think. But um, yeah, you protect yourself, you know, spell it out both ways. And that's what I do in all my agreements. Okay, cool. All right, let's let's uh, switch <laughs> gears just a little bit. Um, you know, you, obviously, you built a pretty good reputation as a copywriter. You know, you have winning controls. You're working with big names. You're beating other copywriters. Really well known in the copywriter world, um, but maybe a little less known when it was time to create your own courses. You know, get your name out there. So, you know, over the last couple of years, what have you done to grow your authority and to start to show up as one of the experts in our field? maybe more than what you were doing before? Well, it certainly has helped being on podcasts like this. I've been on dozens of them and you were probably one of the first to have me on, which I really do appreciate. Um, and we yet, we launched, are you, are you saying we launched Kim Schwalm as, you, uh, as Well, I'm going to have to give Ben Settle a little bit of credit. I know he's a All controversial right. guy. Um, I think, so Ben 
and I met at an AWI event. And he was like really excited to meet me because he'd seen me in the Gary Bensavenga event videos, which he actually bought and paid, you know, $5,000 for. I was actually at the event. And at one point, Gary had called on me to talk about my personal finance control. So Ben always kind of knew who I was and he really wanted to meet me. And then his whole thing was, why aren't you teaching? Why aren't you doing this? So he kind of gave me that first idea and impetus. And then he uh, he had me like do a Facebook live or something with when he used to have a Facebook group, and then you guys had me on. So, you know, it's interesting because, you know, he, he actually has helped propel a lot of women's careers, which a lot of people would not think, you know, sometimes um, the way he is, but, you know, he's been a big supporter. Brian Kurtz has been a big supporter and mentor. You guys have Kevin Rogers had me on, you know, one of his things, you know, I've been on your stage, you know, two or three times I've, you know, been on the stage with copy chief live, you know, the, when they last had one, gosh, it's been now what a year and a half, two years ago. So, you know, I think it's just been, you know, getting myself out there and then getting more people on my list. I give a lot of value away. I know you're probably on my copy insiders list as well. I am. Yep, I am. Um, and I'm just, you know, and now I'm starting to do more on LinkedIn and put some posts out there. And, you know, so I guess all those things are ways to build authority. Um, if somebody's interested in doing that, um, it helps when other people can kind of recommend you or refer you or kind of share their audience with you, which is what, you know, you've been doing and some of these other folks have, have done for me, um, whether it's promoting some of my products to their list or, you know, having me on podcasts. So, you know, those are all ways to, I think, build authority. But I think the bottom line is you got to have, um, you got to know what you're doing. You got to have things you can share and, you know, the experience and the proof. And I, you know, and I feel like I, I definitely have quite a few controls. I just used to sit there in the background, you know, I'd have my head down, get my, I mean, I was, I was totally content for many years. It's like, look, I'm just doing this. Like, while my kids are at school, I'm going to just get everything done in seven or eight hours. And then I'm mom after this. I'm not interested in flitting around the country, you know, speaking at things or giving away my, you know, stuff. But, you know, it shifted. I knew as my kids got older and I knew I really missed the marketing side. And, and like I said, it's just been very gratifying to help hopefully give people like, the leg up they need to succeed in copywriting because it really has been such a great thing for me. I mean, when I think about why I got into it, you know, it was, I needed to get out of the 50 hour work weeks. I, you know, I felt like I had been mommy tracked when I went back to work after I had my first child, you know, I didn't want to be, you know, never seeing my children. Um, but I also wanted a really satisfying career that would use my brain and also allow me to, you know, to make good money. And so, yeah, it's just been, it's been really good for me. I'm going to get for club, but no, I mean, part of that is I want to help other people really have this kind of lifestyle and, and that flexibility that still, I think is missing in a lot of workplaces for men yeah, and women. For sure. As you've kind of made the shift in your business and started doing more training, have you also had to shift your mindset in, in any particular way? The biggest thing initially was sort of like, well, who wants to listen to me? You know, who, who am I am to go out there? You know what I mean? Like I knew I was good and I knew I knew my stuff. And yeah, I mean, I used to never tell anybody that I beat Jim Rutz or Paris. I mean, I kind of, I was like, oh, I shouldn't talk about that. And Brian Kirsten was like, why don't you like tell people that? I'm like, I don't know. Like, you know, I just wasn't like, so kind of getting used to sort of, I mean, I hate to say the word bragging, but like, that was just not me. I'm not the kind of person to go around 
you know, doing that. So I think that was sort of a mindset thing, you know, then, you, you know, this, you know, you got to write your bio for somebody. I'm like, oh God, you know, I guess I have to brag now, you know? So I think getting comfortable with that. Perfect. Okay. So, <laughs> so what is next for you? What's the next big thing that you're tackling in your business? So I'm really working on getting everything dialed in, getting all my products exactly where I want them, you know, reconfiguring and figuring out my mentoring options for next year, um, hoping to have a little bit more flexibility for travel. Um, you know, obviously the last two years, that hasn't been the case, right? Um, and I really, I have two screenplays I've been really wanting to have time to write. So I'm hoping to be able to get over the hump with the things I want to do for my business and maybe step back a little bit and focus on that while I keep maybe my mentoring programs going. Okay. So that's what I'm hoping to do. Uh, now I want to know what, what are the, like, can you give me a one line on the screenplays? What's the plot? You want my log line? Is that what you well, want? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I don't, well, one of them is a historical based on a true historical event. Involving okay. my great grandfather, who basically told the truth and was hushed up, and it was revealed many years later, and yet it led to war. So it's kind of a, a real life story about what happens when political interests and other things, you know, um, lead us to, you know, bad things like that. I mean, I guess that's the best way. I don't really want to give it away. But sure, sure. Kind of okay, no, that's is. good. That sounds. And the other one is, um, and it's a true story. It's a really cool story. Um, and then the other one is is sort of roughly autobiographical. Um, it's a romance. Uh, no, <laughs> no, it's like a it's like a coming of age story um, in the mid seventies in uh, a, a resort area of Florida, Northwest Florida, where I actually live. But I don't know if you you're younger than me, maybe I don't know. But um, not much. Was, okay, so there's like this crazy sexual revolution going on in the seventies. I'm like the suburban kid, kind of plucked out and dropped into this area, and there was just a lot of crazy stuff that happened. And it's just interesting because I don't know if anybody's really told. There's haven't been enough stories coming of age stories told from the female perspective. You know, it's yeah. always the boys like, oh, how am I going to get a girl and all this, right? And uh, so it's it's kind of something along those lines, but from the female perspective and kind of what that was like, you know. All right. Next time we have you come back. And it back, still turned out okay, right? <laughs> yeah. Next time we, we have you come back, we're going to have you actually talking about these screenplays that are now in production. And, well, I uh, hope so. I really that hope that'll be the case. Yeah. So that's the end of our interview with Kim Krause Schwalm. Before we go, there were a couple of other things that stood out to us that we wanted to highlight. Kira, I wanted to talk to you about your opinion with what she said about reading copywriter books. And she said that a lot of copywriters read too many copywriter books. They get too involved in the world of direct response copy. And other people recommend that eh, maybe spend less time rereading these same books over and over and over again. Uh, what's your thought on that? Wow. Okay. Um, I, you know, I agree with Kim and I think, you know, this is, if this is a profession you choose, which it is for most of us, uh, you've got to take it seriously. And this is what does separate the professionals from the amateurs. And it goes, you know, it's full circle going back to what we said about, can everyone write copy? And Kim talking a lot about that in this interview, um, you know, maybe everyone thinks they can write, but how many, 
how many writers are truly a student and a master and continue to learn and like him, um, read, read the books every year, revisiting the books multiple times because you know there's more to learn. And so I think it's really important that Kim shared that. I'm so glad she did. It, it was a good reminder for me too that um, I need to become a better student and that not that I've been slacking. I mean, you're like, doing great. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying. You're doing great. I'm trying my best, but um, there's always room to grow. And so it's just a really strong reminder. But, and I also think there's no, but, but like, and we can also study humanity and study people and study life. And that's, you know, very Ogilvy way of approaching copywriting as well. And you can also read people magazine and understand pop culture and understand, you know, what are the articles that are featured in people magazine? Because, people are buying it and, and understand like, what are people buying? Uh, and what are those headlines? So I think it's a mix of that mastery and, and then also understanding like, where is our culture today? And what does humanity look like today? And the balance is really important. I mean, that's why I watch the real housewives of Beverly Hills, Orange County and Salt Lake cities, because I'm always just trying to study how people are the same and yet different across different demographics. It's, it's all research for work. Um, I agree with that. I, kept thinking about Pablo Picasso and Picasso is known for being really way out there with his art, you know, these kind of representations, his abstract art. Right. Uh, but he was actually a really good realist as well. And he had a mastery of the fundamentals of art. He was able to portray things as they were. And that gave him the creative freedom to still be successful experimenting in different forms and types of art. And I think about what Kim said about knowing your punctuation, right? Well, what is grammar? Grammar is us communicating deliberately. And by knowing the rules of grammar, knowing the rules of copy, knowing the formulas, knowing all this stuff that we seem to like study in a sprint when we first discover the world of direct response, by knowing it, well, then you can start to play with it, right? But you can't really play with it until you know the rules and until you know what you're doing. And there's only so much you can play with if all you're doing is, you know, reading the same five or six books over again. So I've actually, I, I find that I get the most value out of attending things like conferences and doing like maybe once a year big trainings where I kind of like refill that, that jug in my brain, the copywriting jug. Um, maybe that's a new product I need to launch. But um, just getting that stuff, refreshing these things that I, I use them every day, but refreshing the uh, formality of it. Right. I think it's a lot of value, like Kim was talking about. And then you're free to experiment. Right. Then you don't have to be doing nothing but reading, you know, Ogilvy over and over and over again or or like, hey, I'm going to read Breakthrough Advertising again because I am, am not an interesting rounded person, you know. Um, and of course, it's not to say that's a good book. Everyone should read it. But like you should read more than that. How much you're really going to understand about people if you're just reading copywriting guides. Right. Um, like you said, people. uh People magazine represents, I think, the the zenith of our culture. And if we're not reading every single issue, whether or not we pay for it at the newsstand, we're really missing out. <laughs> and for the record, I read more than just People magazine, but that is, you know, that is my vice, and I look forward to it when I do get it. So this is what happens when you move from New York to DC. Like you go from like reading novels and books to reading People magazine. <laughs> It happened. It's my guilty pleasure. And I like what you said about grammar. I think this is how you said it. Gra grammar is communicating deliberately. And I think that's really well said. And 
if you, you know, if grammar is not your strong suit and, you know, for me, I make, I have a lot of typos and I make a lot of mistakes. Um, it's okay to hire an editor too, right? Like I, anytime I work on a project for a client, I work with an editor because that is not my strength and that is okay. It doesn't mean you have to hang your head in with shame. Um, you can be a copywriter and, and still learn, but it doesn't mean you have to be the master if you struggle with it. It's okay. You can hire people who are better at it than you. Um, and I just don't like when people send me emails and tell me about all the typos on my website. So please stop doing that. No, everybody makes typos, right? And that's the thing. There's a difference between not knowing a rule and making a typo. Literally everyone makes typos. And there's like a 92% chance that if you're correcting someone else's grammar, you are committing a typo. It's just, just how the universe works. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of hiring people who are better than you at certain things, let's talk about what Kim said about hiring a lawyer and making sure that your contracts are really buttoned up. Um, I had an experience earlier this year where I had a project go south and, and I won't talk about it too much in public, but I am so glad that I engaged an attorney. And of course, like I, I did everything right. I was meticulously documented, whatever, but knowing that like, oh, I can pay like, 300 bucks and this person will deal with this problem for me and they're going to do so in a way that gives me legal coverage. I'm so glad I did that. Wow. That's yeah. So you, so you invested in an attorney to review your contract to make sure that it was ironclad before the problem situation. Well, funny you say before, because it turns out I entered into an agreement with this person. Uh, it was a word of mouth agreement. And then we had emails confirming the agreement and I should have gotten a contract. And I didn't. And I really, really wish I had. And so when Kim was talking about making sure you have your royalty agreements hammered out, uh, you know, are you going to be paid on gross or net revenue? Well, that's a really important question. And you need to have that answered way before you start doing work, because otherwise you end up having a lot of weird conversations with your clients. And uh, everybody wants to get the most money they can. So nobody's super motivated to, you know, just give away a significant percentage of, of their earnings. Um, there's this video I love and I recommend everybody who's in the first five years of their career watch it. It's Mike Montero and it's a creative morning stock and it's called F.U. Pay Me. Um, and he talks about the importance of being a creative worker, which is copywriters we are, and making sure you have a clear contract before you start working. Even if it's small, even if it's a little gig, you should always do this because if you do, you're avoiding awkward conversations down the line. Um, Kira, while we're on air, why don't you tell me about the most uncomfortable legal situation you've ever had in your copywriting <laughs> business? Um, I love that you said we're on air. It sounds so cool that we're on air. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm just going to ignore that question, Matt, and I'm just going to share to sum it up that contracts are our friends. Um, it took me a while to learn that as well, just because I didn't have a contract probably for my first year as a copywriter. And whenever you're hanging out with other copywriters, instead of talking about, I don't know, what do copywriters typically talk about when they're hanging out at the bar? Like, you know, just hanging out, socializing. I, I just picture Justin Blackman's face, like just smiling at me. You know, that, that smile he gets when he's three or four drinks in and he's just like the <laughs> happiest dude in the world. <laughs> That, that's what I look forward to at these conferences, right? Those moments when everyone's just like happy to be together. And, and you're talking about, you know, client challenges and stories and times when like, uh, you know, you 
maybe butted heads, but it turned out to be awesome and you killed the control or whatever. Okay. So that's what copywriters typically talk about when they're smiling at each other. What I'm saying is like, let's start talking about contracts whenever we hang out with each other. It doesn't sound very sexy, but let's talk about, hey, like, what do you say in your contract? Or like, what is your clause? What's in your clause? You know, and I don't even know the legal mumbo jumbo to even There's <laughs> gotta be some continue play here, but we should, but really like it's a, I can learn a lot. I've learned a lot actually from Rob and I've, I've grabbed um, different parts of his contracts because this can make or break a business especially with your confidence and how you feel going into a project. So contracts are way more important than I thought. Um, and it's often not for the reason that we typically think it is. It's about confidence and feeling competent and professional. And so let's start talking more like Kim shared with us about what's in our contract and where we've been burned and how we can improve our contracts. And let's share that information together always. Well, and one more quick note on that. Kim told the story about how she wrote a Magalog and had a single Magalog sample that landed her a really, really nice gig that had some really nice residual payments. And the process of having a contract is one of those things that establishes you as a pro. And your clients are so much more willing to start working with you even before they have to see samples. I honestly haven't shared samples for a long time. I've got like my website that I wrote. And so obviously that's a sample in a form. But what I really sell people on is I'm a professional with a proven process that I've clearly been through before. I know how to talk about it competently, and I am going to make sure you don't feel any risk at the beginning of the project. You're going to know exactly what comes next. And that starts by signing this statement of work where it states clearly, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Here's how much you're going to pay me. Here's when you're going to pay me and all that good stuff. So just having that, it puts clients at ease because at the end of the day, clients are nervous too. They don't want to waste their money. And I'll be honest, not every project I've worked on has been a super duper winner. But uh, I know that I've never regretted going to the effort of going through that process before we start. It's always worked out in my favor. All right. So let's, you know, before we start to wrap here, I wanted to ask you, Matt, about juggling um, children, raising children and having a satisfying career. Uh but ironically, I have to jump because in order for me to do that right now, I need to go pick up my daughter. But, you know, real quick before we wrap, can you just share your viewpoint on um, on how you view that juggle in your own life as a parent of three and, you know, young children right now? Um, how do you sum that up in your own life? Yeah, as a fellow coastal parent of three, it's really hard. And it's been especially hard the last year and a half because a lot of the things that we've relied on to help support us in our businesses and our lives while we're juggling kids have not been available. But what that's done is it's forced to think every it's forced everybody to reevaluate what they really want to do. And I'm realizing, you know what, there's a lot of projects I don't want to take anymore. And there's a lot of types of clients that eh, someone else can serve them instead. They're not for me. And that's given me so much more freedom. And that makes my work better because when I, I take a step back and I care less about my work if that makes sense, I actually do a lot better work because I don't feel pressure. And so I feel creatively free to show up, apply everything I've spent years and years and years learning, and then deliver the best possible products, services, and deliverables for my clients. Yeah. And thank you, you know, to Kim for also mentioning that too, and how you had a desire, I'm speaking to you now, Kim, how you had a desire to have, to have both and to do both. And um, I'm glad that you touched on that in your interview so we can continue that conversation in the Copywriter Club. So 
We do want to thank Kim Krause-Schwalm for sharing her time with us. If you want to connect with Kim, the best way to do that is to jump on Kim's list at copyinsiders.com where you'll access five different A-list copywriter checklists. You get the whole bundle when you join Kim's list. We'll link to that in the show notes for this episode at thecopywriterclub.com. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muttner. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining as my co-host. This was really fun. We've got to do it again if we're allowed to. <laughs> okay, we'll see what Rob says when we get back, right? Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. And if anyone wants to check out your stuff, where should they go? Yeah, go to commonpeople.co. We build websites. We do marketing strategy. We do all the stuff that helps you scale your copywriting business. So wherever you are, whether you're just getting started, whether you want to break that six-figure mark, or whether you want to implement systems that help you scale even beyond, let's chat. Maybe we'll be a good fit. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob. Close.